Welcome to the Halftime Huddle, a podcast for the gutsy women making Aussie sport their own. I'm Sarah. And I'm Taylor. And we recently spoke to Jemima Montag, gold medalist in the 20km walk at the Commonwealth Games in 2018. Jemima is a passionate advocate in body image and has a passion for health and nutrition. We hope you enjoy this episode just as much as we enjoyed recording it. Jemima, thank you so much for coming in to chat to us, or not coming in. Thank you so much for... Hang on. <laughs> Zooming in. Zooming in. <laughs> How about you tell us a little bit about yourself? So I'm 22. I'm an elite athlete. I do the 20 kilometer race walk. Um, and I'm also a part-time uni student. Um, I'm finishing off my Bachelor of Science at Melbourne Uni this year. Um, and yeah, outside of that, I'm a pretty big foodie. I love cooking for my family and friends. I tried, I dabbled in um, making it into a little of a business as you do straight out of high school I thought I knew how to do that and I I, um, wanted to kind of cook for families who were really busy um, and often relied on say takeaway or uber eats and I wanted them to have a nice home-cooked meal and yeah it was just tricky (laughs) being an 18 year old with no experience in business whatsoever so that was short-lived but now I realize I just want to cook for people I love because it's quite different when you cook for people you don't know um yeah. anyway and sounds I like a good have... person to be in isolation with yeah. <laughs> I feel like everyone's becoming extra domestic at the moment so my cooking and uh growing of veggies and painting walls and uh playing piano and stuff is all just ramping up but that's cool and I'm one of three girls everyone's really sporty in this house um I'm the oldest and we all kind of started off in little athletics but have gone in different directions, which I think to be one of three girls and have everyone kind of have their own few sports is nice. Um, so it's a bit less competitive. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I went to Wesley all the way through prep to 12, which I loved. Um, there were so many sporting opportunities there, um, but also music and they're big on academics as well. So that was a really great platform to um, the the big world after after school <laughs> that's incredible yeah. no that's, that's awesome so I'm one of three girls as well uh, and I love yep. it and it's so good that you guys well branched out into well different sports but what I was surprised about is your cooking tell us a little bit about that and yeah. what was your specialty so I think when I was about how old was I 14 or 15 um Wesley in year nine sends you away for a term um, to a place called Clunes out in the country. Uh, And the point of it is to kind of learn how to live independently. So you're in these little kind of fake houses. I mean, they're real houses, but (laughs) you're living with eight other girls and you've got to cook and clean and kind of work out how to live on your own um, with no parents. Um, And so we'd have a cooking roster. And before I went away on this term, I decided I needed to learn a few recipes so that I wouldn't let my house down. So I remember that summer before leaving, mum just taught me a few of her favourites. So I think it was rice paper rolls and this spanakopita thing. And coupled with my athletic stuff, uh, yeah, it seemed they seemed to work really well together, the passion for cooking and the passion for sport, because I started realising that not only did I love the creative side of cooking and the way that it brings people together and it sparks conversation and it's fun and it's yum. 
but also I realized that nourishing your body and refueling after training for recovery was going to be so important as my sport started ramping up. So yeah, it just, it just happened at the right time as I was becoming more passionate about sport and I had this opportunity to live away for a term and cook with friends. So that's kind of when it started. Um, I made myself a little Instagram account as you do. And it was called something super embarrassing, which is healthy food is the best because I couldn't <laughs> think of anything more catchy. And I would... Oh, well, um, straightforward. Yeah, yeah, straight to the point. I would, um, yeah, just post, I guess, how I, you know, little recipe ideas for how I was fueling myself at the time. And I didn't really know anything at, as a 14, 15-year-old athlete. It was just like, these are some smoothies and a bliss ball recipe or whatever. And it kind of developed from there. Dead, very good person to be stuck in isolation with. It sounds like <laughs> um, you were that ideal housemate at Clunes as well. <laughs> <laughs> yes and no. I think they enjoyed it. I was probably, I mean, I'm going to, we're going to get into the, this kind of stuff later. But I think as a 14, 15 year old, I was probably too restrictive and uh, over the top with the food stuff. Um, so I was a fun housemate in terms of really keen to cook and things. But at the same time, I was probably a bit too obsessed with healthy eating, dipping into that orthorexia stage. And I'd kind of you know, be a bit of a helicopter friend when others were cooking and I wanted to know exactly what was going into everything and was it healthy enough and da 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 So, I don't know. I kind of reflect and cringe at my past self from that time. <laughs> um, yeah. But we learn. There can, be a fi- there can be a fine line between that, I find, especially um, if you get into it too young. It can be really difficult to work yeah. out where the and line Instagram is. doesn't help. Um, no way. Yeah. I found that with that healthy food is the best Instagram account that I mentioned starting at 14, I thought I was starting from a, you know, a genuine place of, oh, I just want to, you know, share the recipes that I'm making and find out what others are doing. Um, but I think you've got to be careful with the Instagram world of food. Like it can really quickly spiral into a bit of an obsessive um, thing where you're also comparing yourself to others and not really fueling your body for what your specific sport is asking of you um, or what suits you. Um, you know, so many people are doing those videos of what I eat in a day and, you know, do this and you'll look like me. And I think um, maybe it comes from a good place, but we've got to be careful of that kind of thing as well. So that's why oh, yeah. I kind of moved away from the foodie Instagram world and it's much more of a fun family oriented um, passion now. Yeah, I imagine it can be a bit of a slippery slope. And those videos that have come out, especially during isolation recently, of what I eat in a day, is it just me? Yeah, but is it just me? Or do you feel like, obviously, when they're making the video, they're putting more effort into their food, but I feel like they must spend their entire day arranging their food. (laughs) Exactly. And the tipping point for me was one day I realised... I'd taken myself down to the local greengrocer to buy edible flowers for about $12 to, you know, perfectly put all over my birch and muesli and take this great photo of it for the foodie page. And then I wouldn't even eat them. I'd just take them off and put them in the bin. And I realized this is ridiculous. Like I'm spending so much money on ridiculous ingredients and it's just not realistic. And at the same time, 
I think I'm inspiring people, you know, to make these healthy recipes, but it's not actually that obtainable. And it's almost a bit of an elitist. I don't know. Like I have many brain explosions when I think about it too much because I don't think healthy eating needs to be that complicated and strict, you know, like it should just be fun and easy and anyone can do it and not these ingredients that we can't pronounce and cost $20 at uh, health foods. How did you actually get into athletics? How did that journey begin? So my mom was a 400 meter hurdler and she definitely wasn't pushing us all into athletics. She just let us have a go at it while we were doing so many other sports as well. Like I started ballet was actually first for me as like a three-year-old. You know, we were dabbling in basketball and swimming and soccer and tennis and all the other things, but athletics was just another one of them. So I started at about the age of seven, just down at Caulfield Little Ass with my sisters and you know how little apps works like you just go around and try all of the events and it was very apparent quickly that I only had type one slow twitch fibers um I was so bad at sprinting and jumping and throwing and anything that required power and speed but I was not too bad at the longer distance stuff and the race walking. So I think as a kid, if you're like good at something and you can get a little ribbon at the local open day um, or cross the line first, you get that endorphin hit and you think, oh, I'm good at this. Okay, I'm going to keep going. And that's enough to kind of get you through. I mean, I found until about the age of 14, 15, because um, you, you've got that week on week improvement when you're growing and, yeah, it's just kind of, you don't need a very strong sense of purpose or why because it's just fun because you're good at it. Um, but then I found that around the age of puberty, like 15 to 18, things start to get harder. And I think especially for girls in sport, um, puberty seems to suck for us, uh, whereas it's quite good for our male counterparts. You know, they just get taller and stronger and they seem to be excelling in sport through that time. Whereas I found myself getting a bit softer and things felt harder and I was up and down hormonally and um, some days I just was in tears over going to training and it just felt hard. Um, and I was really questioning why I was doing elite, or not quite elite, but why I was doing this sport that only seemed to make me feel anxious and um, nervous to be out there in a crop shop and shorts and being compared to others. It just didn't make sense to me anymore. Had a bit of a break from it through year 12 and year 11 really and just decided that I'd focus more on my study and, and keep up sport but just at a school level. So I really enjoyed just um, doing like Wesley cross country and athletics. Yeah, I was really not sure about, you know, Olympic dreams or anything else that had been around when I did little athletics. I just the self-belief factor seemed to really fade throughout that later teenage time. Um, and it wasn't until year 12 had finished and we were over in Japan on a little family holiday, the year of the Rio Olympics. And we were in Japan. I had zero self-belief in my athletic abilities. And my youngest sister, who wasn't really aware of where my head was at with sport, she was like, hey, Japan's so cool. And, you know, the next Olympics are in Japan and it would be great if you could make it and then we'll have an excuse to come back as a family. And I, and I was like, Andy, you've got no idea. Like, <laughs> there's no way I'm capable of that. I just, I don't believe in myself at all. And I don't even know if I want to do it. Doesn't sound fun. No. So there was a mismatch in her excitement <laughs> for me making a team and 
my perceived ability as we were leaving that little Japanese stationery store where she'd made that little pitch to me. Mum said, you know, like, I think you've got what it takes and there's not going to be any pressure from us. But if you, what, if you want to try and make an Olympic Games, we will be right there supporting you. Yeah, I think you should give it a go. Why not? And that was really the start of, yeah, my transition to being a senior athlete. Um, and it only took 12 months after that shift to a new coach to make the Commonwealth Games team. And no spoilers for what happened at the Commonwealth Games. Okay, well, I'm here to deliver the spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, won, you won gold in the 20-kilometre yeah. walk. Talk us through that. The Commonwealth Games in 2018 weren't really on my mind because... I still saw myself as a junior and when I kind of counted on my hands the number of senior athletes who were ahead of me, who I thought would be filling up the three spots on the Commonwealth Games team, I just thought, you know, I'll just focus on this junior to senior transition. I really don't think I'll be in the mix to make the Com Games team, but we'll just play it kind of month by month. And then as 2017 started rounding off, um, we'd done some really good work and my body just seemed to be adapting to the longer distance as well. I think I'm a true endurance athlete in terms of I can just keep going for quite a while as long as the pace is slow. So I was really enjoying the transition. We did an, a nice few weeks of high altitude in Bogota in Colombia later in the 2017 year. And then I was on a training camp in January of 2018 um, at the Australian Institute of Sport and all of the girls who were vying for that Commonwealth Games team were on the, on the camp. And so at the beginning of the camp, I was talking to my sports psych and I was thinking really, there was kind of that imposter syndrome feeling of um, I don't quite deserve to be here. Uh, why am I all of a sudden, you know, I shouldn't be keeping up with these older athletes I'm not good enough all these kind of questions but she's been really helpful in terms of having little answers up your sleeve so that whenever those questions of self-doubt come in whether it's in a training session or a race or just when you're sitting around and yeah questioning what you're doing um yeah having some useful answers up your sleeve so by the time the Commonwealth Games trial came around which was just after that training camp in the February of 2018 rather than thinking I don't belong here. These girls are more experienced and older and better than me. And they've been to an Olympics and a Com Games before. I was able to turn some of those thoughts around into um, rather than being intimidated that the older girls were more experienced than me. I tried to flip that to, you know, no one knows what I'm capable of yet. Um, and I've worked just as hard as these girls on the training camp. Um, I know that we've been around the same pace in sessions and I'm just going to throw myself in the mix and see what happens. And I managed to cross the line second at the trial and they take the top three to the Com Games. So I think, in fact, the day that I made the team for the Com Games was almost more exciting than the win itself at the Com Games because that almost felt like the dream, the childhood dream come true of making a senior team. I got to make my dad cry, which actually isn't that hard, but... Um, <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of emotion on that day at the trial. And then the, the Com Games, you know, was only five or six weeks later. So it rolled around really quickly. I was just like this fresh little rabbit. I don't know. <laughs> Everything was just so exciting. Um, being in the village and getting all that green and gold uniform for the first time as a senior. And I think having a home games, being on the Gold Coast as my first senior team was a really beautiful um and fortunate experience because it it just made it a bit cozier like I was able to have my grandma and 
many more family and support fly across because it was just a couple of hours on the plane than if it were to have been, um, say, in Birmingham, like it will be next year. So yeah, it was. Just, it was a training was going well, and maybe a week out, started talking about perhaps podium finish could be possible today with my coach. Then what I started realizing is that within the Commonwealth countries, like for my sport, the strongest countries aren't really part of the Commonwealth. It's more um, Asia and Russia and Mexico and South America. They're the countries that do really well at say an Olympics or a world champs. So I started realizing that the Commonwealth games weren't going to be too dissimilar to our national championships. Um, cause we had some New Zealanders come across and some British girls. And I realized from the countries who would be involved at the Com games, you know, I'd, I'd kind of already raced a lot of them and I almost knew what to expect. So then after I'd started thinking about maybe podium would be a potential outcome, the morning I woke up on the 8th of April, 2018, it was gold was kind of all that I was thinking about. And it was more about executing a dot point plan of how to get there than anything else. As the race went on, it ended up just and the, another Australian athlete, Claire and myself neck in neck with three kilometers to go. And we were quite away ahead of third plate when she received her third red card. So in race walking, um, you know, there needs to be some kind of rules that differentiate it from running. So the two rules are that you need to have a straight knee upon contact with the ground and you always must have one foot on the ground. So if you violate those rules three times and three different judges are in agreement that you're not race walking properly, then you're disqualified. And <gasps> it's a really difficult part of our sport because I feel like in other sports, when you get a red card, let's say in soccer, it's because, you know, you've done something wrong, you've offended the ref, you've bumped another player or something. Whereas in race walking, when you get your red card, you know, it's not really because you're trying to cheat. It's more just because you're trying to go as fast as possible and you're breaking into a bit of a run. And I, you know, sometimes maybe people mean it, but other times I think it's just because you're fatiguing and it's hard to stay in control of what your legs are doing. So... It was a really heartbreaking moment when my teammate got her third red, even though it did put me into the gold medal position. Um, I couldn't, you know, fully enjoy that moment because you never want that to happen to a fellow Australian. And I didn't really know what to think. Um, but she was so supportive. Um, she's a much more experienced athlete and she stuck around at the finish line and waited for me to finish, even though she wasn't able to and had a big hug waiting for me and just reassured me that I really shouldn't feel sorry for her at all. And that I should just enjoy that moment and go and celebrate with my family. So it was a strange ending to the race, even though I was able to hit the tape and cross the line first. I'm really grateful for the way Claire dealt with that situation and that I could enjoy it and celebrate it rather than feeling a bit confused and as if I kind of didn't deserve it. Cause I was certainly, some people in the weeks following were saying, oh, you know, you only won that race because your teammate was disqualified. Um, so I dipped into feelings of guilt and, oh, was I, was I actually going to win if, if that red card hadn't been delivered? But I guess you can't really look back and have thoughts like that. Um, you know, I compare it to Kathy Freeman's win at the 2000 Olympics 20 years ago. And, you know, she had a big rival, this French woman, I can't quite remember her name now, who didn't actually race that year, I think injury complications. And so, you know, Kathy could look back and think, oh, would I have won the gold at the Sydney Olympics if my French rival had raced? Um, but I think it's not a helpful thought. You know, you've just got sport is sport and it's about who turns up 
in the best form on the day. And if you are able to get the win on the day, then you just celebrate it and that's cool. You did promise your one of your sisters that you were going to go to Japan and you made that promise a reality. So you received automatic selection to the Olympics this year, which was the reason you got back into athletics in the first place. It's now a bittersweet achievement having been postponed. Can you talk us through the emotion of being selected? Yeah, for sure. Through January, um, obviously... Australia was going through the first of many 2020 challenges with the bushfires. I knew that our Olympic trial was coming up just one month later in February. So we put so many (laughs) things in place with P2 masks and trying to use treadmills so we didn't have to be necessarily doing hours and hours of training outside in the smoke. But it was quite a difficult month to continue training when it wasn't perhaps the best thing for our health and, you know, what respiratory physicians were advising but we pushed on because we knew those olympic trials were just a month later and the rule basically at the olympic trials in feb was that the first person to cross the line is automatically nominated as long as you've already done the qualifying time that was the goal my coach has a little thing that he always says which is qualify early qualify often and that's what helps you make teams. One of my Queensland friends who was in the race, Katie, uh, her and I had both already done the qualifying standard. It's, it, it did seem as though the two of us would be kind of neck and neck. We'd done a lot of great training together through the January before the trial. And we were both in a really good position going in, but both also trying to get that win for the auto, automatic nomination for the team. It was a strange morning because it, there was that um, altered lead up, you know, Normally, we spend January at the AIS in Canberra. We weren't able to do that because of the bushfires. So we'd had an altered preparation in Melbourne. Also, on the day, it was strangely hot. I knew I was in good physical form, but it really came down to the work that my sports psych and I did. We broke the 20K down into three chunks. So there was the first 10, then from 10 to 15K, and then from 15K to the the finish line. Um, And each section kind of has different themes and different little trigger words that I can focus on to get through the work that needs to be done. I really like these little three word phrases. So in the final part where it's really hurting, I might remind myself, dig deep, or I might remind myself that I can go back to the well. And the well is this thing that I imagine a well of physical and mental strength that's deep and I can keep going back and bailing out more physical and mental strength as I need it whereas things that I'm telling myself earlier on in the race are more about staying really relaxed cool calm and collected and not expending any extra energy that I have to and just kind of you know locking into the pace and letting others do the work really that that Olympic trial in February was just like a mental dialogue with myself coaching myself through so I could stay calm and in in control. I was telling myself in the final part where my Queensland friend and I were still neck and neck, I want to be on the attack, I want to be on the offense rather than racing defensively. So rather than sitting back and waiting for her to kick and trying to hold on, I decided I'm going to jump on the offense and actually I'm going to kick down with two or three kilometers to go and just go as hard as I can and see if she can hold on. Yeah, it felt... It felt really special. It was definitely a childhood dream come true, something that we would speak about a little athletics. But I think when you're seven or eight, no one really realizes what it's going to take to achieve that Olympic dream. People would just, just kind of say, oh, long jump's my favorite. I'm going to go to the Olympics for long jump or like shot put's my favorite or race walking or whatever it is. You've had some big yeah. learning curves regarding body image and your relationship with food and how that affects your professional athletics career. Talk to yeah. us about that experience. So at that junior to senior transition, 
I was mentioning how we go from 10 kilometers to 20 kilometers and everything's a bit more serious. And I think for some reason in my brain, even though the training was doubling, I didn't think that I had to then double my fuel intake. In fact, I probably started eating less because in my head it was, oh, okay, no, I'm a serious athlete now. I have to be, you know, completely ripped all year round because that's what elite athletes look like. And I have to kind of be, I can't have a little treat with my friends at the movies here and there or some dessert with after dinner with my family or when it's a birthday or whatever, you know, I've got to be a serious athlete and locked down just because that was the narrative I was kind of building in my head over the years growing up. So I gave that a go, <laughs> being like really strict and serious with everything. It just spiraled into that very obsession with healthy eating, which is what orthorexia means and, and being really kind of highly wired all the time and and focused on every little training session and being overly perfect but then i think it's important that we question what yeah whether that really is healthy or not because i think when you've got that obsession with healthy eating it's actually far too restrictive and it's not the true essence of healthy because I think healthy should be a bit more flexible and um, there should be room to have a bit of birthday cake when it's your mum's birthday or you know once a week if, if friends are getting together for ice cream and a movie then you know that should absolutely be a thing that that is done especially when you're doing so many kilometers but it did take me a couple of years to figure that out um, because I think initially when you do hold back on the fuel side of things and you're training a lot and you have a bit of a reduction in body mass i mean at least for endurance sports it is a little bit advantageous on the in the short term because you're a bit lighter and it feels easier but you haven't really dipped into the negative consequences yet so initially my brain was like, oh, this is great. Like my times are going down. I'm looking thinner. Everything feels easy. I'm getting good feedback from people on the sidelines. I mean, it's a really strange thing to be out there in a little crop top and briefs um, for races because I think your body's kind of constantly being critiqued and talked about. So if you care a lot about the opinions of others, then it can really get to you. We're in this time of social media where um, there seems to be a lot of posting of kind of, this is what my body looks like now, which is a bit strange. That kind of adds to the fire um, of body image issues. But some of the consequences of being chronically energy deficient include um, your immune system can function as well. So you find yourself getting sick more often, um, definitely bone density and bone, bone health in general um, goes down. So you're more susceptible to stresses um, and, and other injuries as well. Cause you're not, you know, fueling your body to recover as well as you can from sessions. Um, I found that my mood was very up and down, mainly down. Yeah, you're just not as fun to be around. And food is kind of all you're ever thinking of, which is really not that fun. And I started realizing these things as I was starting to pick up a few more injuries um, and really feeling those negative effects of the red S cycle. I mean, other um, which were a bit more personal, I found that my skin got much worse and that really affects my confidence and my hair and my head started thinning. And I think it's just because when you're under fueling, you know, your body has to really prioritize keeping alive. So it, it devotes whatever energy you're giving it to your brain and your heart and <laughs> vital organs. But anything that's kind of extra, such as making sure your skin's nice and turning over your hair follicles and keeping your menstrual cycle happening, all of that can kind of shut off. So I certainly found that I was into a period where I just thought it was normal for um, elite athletes to not be menstruating. What I've been realizing 
as I've learned more about this red S stuff is that, you know, now every time I get my period, it's like such an exciting moment. And I text my dietitian and my mom and I text them with all these red emojis. I'm like, yay, number 10 in a row or whatever. Cause I've realized oh. that it's not a burden at all. In fact, it means that you're fueling yourself and recovering well enough. It means that your bones are going to be protected and that you'll have kind of long-term you know, your fertility will be better off and you'll be less likely to get injured. And, you know, if that means that I have to train a little bit heavier or, you know, eat more, sleep more, whatever it is to keep my period happening, but it means that I won't get injured as much and I'll be able to build month on month of training, I think I'll be a much better athlete for it, um, which I definitely have found in the last year, um, training more in that way and fueling wisely. Jemima, thank you so much for coming on today. We really enjoyed speaking to you. As I said, you're a fantastic young lady and we just can't wait to see where you go. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening to Halftime Huddle. If you enjoyed this episode, please check out our others and don't forget to subscribe, like and rate us.